Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Y'all are kind. Just to be clear, I'm not the one who put into practice stand and honor the pastor. Um, That's not exactly the way I roll, but I receive it, so thank you. Freddie, great to have you with us. I love what God is doing in uh, Burundi. If you want to join us tonight, you can find the address to our office on our website, sozosmtx.com. If you can write really fast, I'll give it to you now. It's 101 Eulen Street in San Marcos, and we're in Suite 218. Um, I think you're going to want to hear more of what God is doing in Burundi, and uh, it's, it's incredible because for us as a team, we've, we spent... Uh, last year really saying, okay, God, what does it look like for us to, to begin to step into what you've called us to? And uh, we really feel like God's uh, calling us to be and to plant, Steve used the word earlier, apostolic hubs. And what that means is, is that we would be resource centers for local transformation and then that we would launch people into the nations. And uh, just like uh, that pastor in Uh, Burundi, or in uh, Uganda said, if it's not ridiculous, then it can't be miraculous. And uh, we really believe that God wants to do that. And and so as we begin to say, hey, God, this is who uh, we feel like you've called us to be, and we agree with that. There's something about the call on your life, the call on our life as a people. When you begin to agree with what heaven says, then grace flows. And so it was like, okay, we're going to step into that. As soon as we did, we began a relationship with Freddie. He like walked into our life and it was just this divine moment. And so I really believe that God's doing that. Um, He's partnering us uh, with folks uh, in other places and he's raising people up from within to be a blessing to the nations um, that we could see the kingdom of God advance in our day. You wanna be a part of that? That's what God's up to. And I believe everybody's got a role to play. So this morning, we're going to finish our Missio Day series talking about the mission of God. Um, we spent quite a bit of time laying a foundation that we would begin to understand that the, the very mission of God is that we would be family, that that's what God's after. He started as a loving father raising kids, and he's determined to end as a loving father with mature sons and daughters. We believe this, that Habakkuk 2.14 is true, that the glory, the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth as the water covers the sea. And so we've been talking about this idea of being a family on mission, and so I'm going to wrap up our time this morning, um, wrap up this series talking about what it looks like to be a family on mission. And here's my heart for you. Here's what I've been noticing God, uh, or what I've been noticing the enemy doing, and what I believe that God wants uh, to begin to minister to, uh, maybe even this morning. I think God is picking people off. I mean, the enemy, sorry. The enemy, God is not. Wow. The <laughs> Let's start over. Hey, welcome to Sozo Church. My name's Joel. No, I believe that the enemy is picking people off and that he actually wants to tell you that you don't fit and that there are even little things that are causing offense in you that the enemy would like to use to pull you out of the family of God. And that's always a scheme of the enemy, but I believe this, that it's actually a heightened scheme of the enemy in this season. When I uh, was doing college ministry at Texas State, I had just 
I kind of stepped into the lead position of ministry that I was leading, a couple hundred students at Texas State. And the truth is we were not uh, a very diverse group of students that, that we had. So I had a young uh, black man, a freshman, come to me and say, hey, um, I feel like I'm supposed to be here, but I don't feel like I fit. And he said, like, is diversity something that you have a value for? And, and I said, absolutely. It's actually something that I've been praying for. The, the problem is, is that I am who I am and I look like what I look like, Right? I think the scheme of, our, of the enemy in our day is to tell us that we don't belong because other people aren't like us. And what happened over the next few semesters into the next couple of years is that he became a, a prominent leader, um, not just in our ministry, but on campus. And we saw the, the diversity in that ministry begin to blossom. And it was a part of, incredibly talented young man, a part of launching him uh, into his destiny as uh, really a, a professional creative musician uh, growing an audience. And it was incredible just to see as he said, hey, I feel like I don't fit, but maybe I do. And I want to say to you, maybe, maybe you look like most of the people in the room or maybe you don't, but just because it doesn't look like you don't fit, it doesn't mean that you don't because what God is doing is he's building his kingdom and it is diverse. And it requires all different types of skin colors and skill sets and gift mixes. And it requires everybody to be in in order to see his kingdom advance. And the family of the kingdom looks incredibly diverse. Diverse not just by the way that we look, but by who we are and the things that make us up. And I, I believe that the very heart of God is that we would live as Ephesians 2, we'll get there in a few minutes, that we would live as one new man. You see, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia that was experiencing incredible division and tension. He says, look, here's the deal. There is now no more Jew or Gentile. There's no more slave or free man, male or female. We're all actually one in Christ. And I, I believe this, that when we begin to understand the power of our unity in Christ, our diversity begins to be an incredible representation to the world of what the kingdom of God is like. Amen? So we know in the very beginning of scripture, I'm just gonna walk you through the whole Bible and then we're gonna land on the whole Bible. Y'all like, oh, we're gonna be here for a while. <laughs> I'll, I'll be quick. And then we're gonna land on uh, what God's doing in the church in our day and what really the purpose of the church is. I do think this, that there's also a lie that the enemy would want you to believe that you don't need the church. That you don't, you don't need the spiritual family of God. That, that it, you really, you can follow Jesus all on your own and that is not a biblical thought. And so God starts in the very beginning with Adam and Eve and he gave them this mandate that they would be fruitful and multiply, that they would fill the earth and subdue it. And it, it was the heart of God that Adam and Eve, man and woman, made in the very image of God, would carry his image to cover the whole earth. And we know this, that sin entered in through the enemy, through actually Adam and Eve's agreement with the lies of the enemy, with temptation, Eve's agreement, Adam's agreement through passivity. And so 
Romans tells us this, that you're a slave to the one that you obey. When they begin to obey the enemy, they actually became slaves of the enemy and they brought humanity under that slavery. But God was always looking for a people that would represent him, a people that would be like priest to the world. Priest, not necessarily as the ultimate go-between, but as the ones that would go between in order to say, this is what God is like. He's safe. You can have relationship with him. He's for you. So he calls out Abraham. It's interesting. I think a lot of times when we think of, of church, we think of an institution. But when we get the picture of Abraham, what we recognize is this, is that God was always looking for a, a family. He didn't call Abraham to be a pastor or a leader or a prophet or an apostle of many nations. He called him to be a father of many nations. Why? Because God's always been into family. That's what he's up to. And I believe this, when the church stops relating as family and we move into just being another institution, we actually stop being, in the, ch- being the church. And I think if John were riding under the influence of the Holy Spirit to the Western church, he would say to us, stop acting like an organization or I'm gonna remove the light from your lampstand. Doesn't mean that we don't need to be organized, but it means that we must be family. So we see that with Abraham. Well, Abraham kind of gets a rough start, right? Can't have kids. Then he decides he's going to do it his own way. That doesn't work very well. Eventually, he has kids, and he becomes the father of many nations. And we're blessed through him. We're blessed because of him. He became the super, super, super great-grandpa of Jesus. And then we see Moses, and Moses comes along, and Abraham had actually prophesied about Moses coming, and so Moses comes along and brings the people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. He's, he's a foreshadowing a type of Jesus. What Jesus came to do is get us out of slavery. What we find when the Israelites make it into the desert is that the slavery that they were experiencing was less physical and more mental. Because they left the slavery, the bondage of Egypt behind, but what they found is that they were still acting like slaves in the middle of the wilderness. Sometimes you and I begin to blame our circumstances for our problems, but most of our problems are actually mindsets and not circumstances. So then they, they, they begin to move into the promised land. Eventually, uh, they make it. They lose a generation. Why? They lost a generation because there was a generation that was not willing, as Freddie said, to embrace the ridiculous as an opportunity for the miraculous. And there are times that God will let those of us who will not enter into the promises of God fall away so that he can have a people that are committed to to himself. So let me rewind just a second. So when they go up, When God invites all of Israel, by the way, if you read Deuteronomy 5, he invites all of Israel to go up the mountain to meet with him. And and this was, the the picture became the imagery for what a Jewish wedding ceremony would look like. But Israel responded in this way. They said, we're not going up. They said, we've already seen God once, and we, we barely survived, so you go for us. You see, what God was after was a kingdom of priests instead of what he got was a kingdom with priests because, because the people of Israel were stuck in their slave mindset. God wanted people that were related to him, that would relate to him, that were connected to him. 
And out of their fear, they chose distance and separation instead of intimacy and connection. The truth is many of us do that today. And we'll, we'll settle for uh, somebody else to lead us in worship and somebody else to bring the revelation of the word of God instead of relate directly with God. Now, all of those other things are good. They're not bad. But when they begin to replace your personal relationship with God, they get in the way. So they, they do that for a bit and they begin to promise Jesus and then King David comes along and he, he becomes this incredible picture of what Jesus is going to look like and he begins to prophesy what's coming. And so Jesus sets, you know, gets onto the scene and he doesn't come into a, a kingdom of Israel. He comes into uh, an occupied state that's given a little bit of freedom to operate but is an incredible lockdown from, from the Roman Empire. He doesn't step into some sort of powerhouse global power empire. But instead, he shows up basically into a little Roman province that has very little global influence. And yet from that place, in the first century, the world has been transformed. Now, some of you think, oh, I don't have much influence. I'm not in a prominent place. I live in you know, the Texas Hill Country or wherever you're from. Say that God, God's not interested in what you can orchestrate yourself. He's interested in what he can do through you, through a surrendered yes. And so Jesus steps onto the, the scene and, and he becomes the mediator between heaven and earth. And he's fully God and he's fully man. And he's fully man because he has to bring humanity back under the rule and reign of God. And he becomes the perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb, the one that makes restitution and, and, and reconnection for us. And so when he heads to the cross, which we're headed into Holy Week, when he heads to the cross, he says, I'm making a covenant in, in my blood, a covenant of forgiveness. And you see, Jesus had to do that not as simply as God, but as, as the perfect and sinless man. Because he... The bridegroom was, was making a way for us as humanity to be rightly reconciled with God, but it couldn't be on our performance. It had to be based on his. And so the cross speaks the best word about you that could ever be spoken, that you have been made right, that you are righteous and holy, that you are spotless and clean, that sin no longer has a stain over you, and that guilt and fear and condemnation are liars. And he did it all on his own. You didn't do anything to get into it, and you can't do anything to get out of it. Now, that's really good news. You see, part of the reason why the church is called the bride of Christ is because we married in to the deal that Jesus the Son had with God the Father. That's good news. So, I have some business partnerships that I'm in, and Lauren gets the benefit of those business partnerships without having to do any of the work. Amen. Amen. And so she did nothing to get into it. She can't do anything to get out of it. That's the way it is with us and God. That, that 
we, as the bride, we married into the promises of Jesus that became yes and amen in him. And so we don't earn them, we receive them. That's good news. And so Jesus dies on the cross. He raises from the dead. We'll talk about that more next week. Spoiler alert, he does actually raise from the dead. And, and then right before actually he goes to the cross, he tells his disciples, it's gonna be better for you that I go because if I go, you can't have the Holy Spirit with you. We'll do a series on that starting in, well, it is April after Easter. But the idea is this, that better than Jesus with you in the flesh is the Spirit of God in you. Do you get that? Like, it would be great to have Jesus walking around as my best friend with me, like my shadow all the time. But God knew that it was actually better than having him in the flesh was having him inside of me. And so then Pentecost comes, all right? Jesus ascends, Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit falls. And, and it's like, it's incredible what begins to happen in Jerusalem. However, there's a problem. The problem is this. Acts 1.8 says that the Holy Spirit will come and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And here's, here's the problem. They didn't obey. They didn't go. They stayed in Jerusalem. He was saying, hey, don't go until I come, but when I come, when I send the helper, the Holy Spirit, then you go. And they stayed. So the next thing that happens, we see in, uh, in Acts 6, 7, and 8 is that persecution comes. And I don't believe that persecution was God's design, but I do believe it was the consequence for people who did not go, and it began to be a tool used by God to send those who were unwilling to go. Because in a matter probably of months, the church that was at least 5,000 in that day, everybody but the apostles scatters and leaves Jerusalem. And what was meant by the enemy to do them harm actually began to be the fuel for the gospel to go to the nations. It's actually why we're here today. It's incredible. But they began to run into some problems and the problems were division because they didn't understand what it meant to be the family of God. The, the Israelites, the, the Jews thought, oh, well, we've got kind of a leg up because we're insiders on this deal. And so they didn't understand how do we relate with the rest of the world with the Gentiles. And that's kind of where we find ourselves as we jump into scripture. Go with me to Ephesians chapter two. We'll start in verse 16 and I'll finish in three minutes. Ephesians 2, 
16, it says, and in, uh, we'll start in 14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Say one new humanity. Out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached to you who were far away, and peace to those of you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That's good news. Good news? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, fellow, but fellow citizens with God's people and all members of his household. The word household is the Greek word koinonia, and it actually means family. So it's not about a physical house, but it's we're all members of God's family. Why? Because God started as a father, and he's determined to end that way. I like what one of my spiritual fathers, Jack Taylor, said. He said that if God would have wanted anything other than a family, then he would have told us to call him something other than father. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Say apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. To understand this, that in their day, the understanding, even the language around temple was the place where heaven meets earth. In fact, the word temple was so holy that they often wouldn't say it. Instead, they would refer to the temple as heaven and earth or the place where heaven meets earth. Why? Because the temple of God, which is not a building built by hands of man, but it's actually built by God because it's a people in which you are fashioned as a living stone. Here's the great thing, by the way, about stone architecture. It's very different from brick architecture. Brick architecture all looks the same. Stone, each one is unique and different and has a perfect place to fit. And I just declare over you that there is a perfect place to fit because you are a stone of the living God built into the living temple and he's actually got a place for you, not because you look like everybody else, but specifically because you're different from everybody else. You don't look the same, you don't have the same gifting, the same wiring, the same personality, or the same fingerprint. And because you're different, you have a place to fit. Amen? And so the temple of God became the conduit for heaven and earth to meet. You see, what God's after is an answer to the prayer of Jesus that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the point of that, is that heaven would begin to have such an impact on earth that earth begins to look like heaven. That's what God's up to. And you'll miss it if you're stuck in a doom and gloom gospel that concentrates on evil and immorality instead of what God's up to in our day. And it goes on to say, it says, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Fast forward with me to Ephesians 3.10. It says this, it says, it was his intent now that through the church, say through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, which means the, the multifaceted, brilliant wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities and in the heavenly realms. So here's the point. All throughout time, God has been looking for a family that would represent him. 
and it's God's intent that the church, which was established in the Jewish world and began to fill the whole world. Why? Because God wanted Abraham not just to be the father of a nation, but the father of many nations. That the church becomes the family of God inside the new covenant. And so it's God's desire that what he does in us would put on display the glory of who he is. It's why we're called his body, of which he is the head. You see, it's God's desire that the church would be used to represent him to the world. That the church would live as the very family of God in the world. But there's another word for church that I think we can't miss. Jesus uses it in uh, Matthew chapter 16. Go with me real quick. Peter and Jesus are having a conversation. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Jesus says that you're the Lord, the Messiah. And Jesus then gives this response. He says, blessed, this is Matthew 16, verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. I tell you the truth that you are Peter. That word Peter means little rock, okay? It's like pebble. It's like a a, a cute little little name and he says and on this rock and so he uses two different words sometimes people think oh well the church is built on Peter no it's actually built on the foundation the the big foundation that Jesus is Lord that he is the Messiah he says and on this rock I will build my church say church that word church is not the same word koinonia in the Greek that means the family of God it's actually a, a word in the Greek that's ekklesia say ekklesia If you speak Spanish, it's like iglesia, right? But here's what that word means. It wasn't a a religious term. It was actually a borrowed political term. And that term meant the assembly of the called out ones. It's described as a legislative body. So here's what that means. That the church is the legislative body of God. And he goes on to tell us, what authority that legislative body says. He says, I tell you the truth, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now that's good news, by the way. Let me not miss that. The gates of hell will not overcome it. You do not need to be afraid if you're part of the church because the gates of hell will not overcome you. Now, let me also point this out. Gates are not an offensive weapon. Other than a few of you that have poor timing with your driving, how many of you have ever been assaulted by a gate? Some of you may have been like, you got stuck in the, but other than that, gates are meant to keep people in and keep people out, but they're not weapons. The gates of hell will not overcome the church. In fact, the church was created to plunder the gates of hell, to knock them down and pull out every bit of treasure that they're keeping in lock. And then it tells us this, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Oh, that is a horrible translation. Let me give you what it says, okay? Is that all right? There's no perfect translation, by the way, so you just kind of study it, look at the Greek, original languages, all that stuff. Here's what it actually says. 
is that whatever it is in heaven, you're supposed to loose it onto the earth. And whatever is already bound in heaven, you bind it on the earth. Here's what it means. It's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our role is not to tell heaven what to look like. Our role is to understand what heaven looks like and bring it to earth. And the, the power of the church as a legislative body, which means this, we're not a social club. We're not the place you come just to be family, though that's true that we are the family of God, but the contrast to that, the truth that we live in, or the tension we live in, is that we are the family of God, but we're also the government of God, the legislative body of God on the earth. We're the ones that represent who he is. And that means this, that when we begin to say, oh, you know what? There's no child trafficking in heaven. It cannot be here. We begin to say, you know what? Racism does not exist in heaven. It cannot exist here. And we begin to say poverty does not exist in heaven, so it cannot exist here. And we begin to understand that our role is to enact God's order onto earth. And I don't mean that, just let me be very clear, I don't mean that in any sort of command and control way. We're not supposed to dominate the earth we're supposed to influence the earth. And the influence of our leadership should always be from the posture of servanthood. Does that make sense? You with me? So it's not about how do we make everybody do what we want them to do, no. It's how do we participate with the justice and righteousness of God, the very mercy of God, in order to see his kingdom advance. And so here's what that means for us as a church family, is that we're committed to planting churches that begin to operate under that apostolic mandate to live as sent ones that we see in Matthew chapter 16. But we also are committed to being the family of God. And so when we say, Freddie, we're partnering with you, it's because we want to see Burundi transformed on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it's impossible that you would step foot in a country like Burundi or in San Marcos, Texas, and realize, hey, there are some things that are out of whack here. But here's what we've decided as a church, is that the best way for us to address the issues, like in Burundi, poverty, corrupt leadership, um, poverty, poverty, and poverty, orphans and widows, people that are uneducated, people that are living on the streets. In fact, Freddie's connected with these incredible, this incredible ministry that we got to feed about 100 of them their Christmas dinner, and they take women and children off the streets, and they've given them skills, and now they're belonging to the church. It's beautiful. It's powerful. <laughs> We're doing stuff in our, in our city that's bringing real change to people's lives. But here, here's what we've decided for us as a church family. It doesn't mean you, other things can't go differently. So what we believe is that it's through the family of God that transformation comes. And so what we want to do is we want to plant churches in other places in the world, whether they're, you know, the next town over or, or on, to the ends of the earth. We want to plant communities that bring transformation through the church and then begin to tackle the issues that are local to that place. So it's not our heart that we would start a, a, an orphanage in Burundi. 
But if it's on Freddie's heart to start another orphanage, he started several, then through that church in partnership with that local church, then we see that kind of stuff happen. Are you with me? Why? Because it's the very heart of God that we wouldn't just be about good projects, but that we would be about what God's about, which is, is his family covering the earth. And, and, and that when his family begins to cover the earth, they begin to live from that place of heaven and bring the realities of heaven into the earth and see transformation happen, not just as a good project, but as a family. Why? Because things are generationally sustainable through family. It's not just a project that starts and dies, but it becomes sustainable when we do it through the context of family. And that's what God's up to, is that he's actually not just taking on good projects, but, and he'll, he'll bless those things, but what he wants to do is build his kingdom that looks a whole lot like family. And so for us, what it looks like lived out is that we would live to see local transformation happen all around us, and that we're partnering with different organizations in order to see that happen but also that we would launch people that would multiply these families on mission, these apostolic communities that would be a resource, whether it's in Burundi or San Antonio or wherever else, and that we would see transformation happen in those places from the context of family, because I believe that's what God's up to. If it doesn't look like family, then I don't believe that it reflects the heart of who God is. And so... The, the reality is, for many of us, we're not going to live out most of our context or most of our calling in the context of the church gathered. But instead, we'll live it out as the church scattered. But it's important that you begin to understand, hey, I actually have a place to fit. And so maybe your, your kingdom calling is that, that you're living out the pastoral wiring that God has given you in the context of education. But you belong to the family of God. So you find yourself maybe in a community group that you're living that out with and they're pouring into you and you're pouring into them and it's, it's the rally place, the hub. Sunday morning begins to be like the celebration and equipping place for us to live that out. And we become this family, this big family with many little families on mission that are bringing transformation everywhere we go. And maybe for you, there's a call that, that you would plant a church in another city and that you would see the kingdom come in that way. And we want to partner to see the kingdom of heaven advance all over the world because I believe this, that what God's up to is way bigger than us. But there's an invitation to be in on what he's up to and so we can partner with it. So when, when a Freddie walks into our life, I see Bob here, and Bob introduced us uh, to Pastor Vakas in Pakistan. What they're doing is incredible. They're starting uh, churches all over the place and just seeing uh, in, in, a hostile, in a place very hostile to Christianity, they're seeing the gospel advance. And I believe what the enemy would love to do, many of you, I think, are in the early days of your journey with God. And the enemy would love to tell you, you don't fit, you don't have a place. I don't really care if you've been in Jesus for 50 years. I think you're still in the early days. There's still more to come for you. I remember when we began talking about this idea two or three years ago as we were relaunching coming out of COVID, 
begin talking about this idea of planting these apostolic hubs, these families on mission. The word apostolic, by the way, is like, means missional or, or sent ones. It's, it's, it's an interesting word. But anyways, that, that would become these like resource centers in different regions that would be a blessing. And, and there were some, some older folks that said, oh, like basically we're too old, we don't see how we fit in that. I'm like, no, actually, you're so needed because what God's up to is family. So we need everybody because he's not doing it just through some young generation. He's doing it through one generation. That's all of us together. And it's the diversity of ages and skill sets and everything else that we would live on the mission of God. Because I, I, I believe this, that God is interested in seeing every person come to know him and walk with him. It's his heart. Peter says it's his heart that none should perish. They want to know they have a seat at the table, that they belong to the family of God, and that they have purpose. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite our ministry team to come forward. And my hunch is there's probably two or three people in a room like this that he would say, I, I just need to give my life to Jesus. Uh, I want to trust him. I want to be in on what he's in on in the world. These folks would, would love to pray with you and bless you in that direction and see you blessed into what God's up to in your life. So if you feel stuck, they'd love to pray with you. Let me pray for you and we'll be done. Father, thank you for inviting us in on your family and in on your mission in the earth. Lord, we're honored to be your sons and daughters. We're honored to be your ambassadors, to be the ones that carry your glory. So as a church, I'll just declare over you that your life matters, that there's a specific call from God for your life, and the fulfillment of your life is actually found in the call of God. So Lord, I pray that in the, in the coming days where we're trying to discover what that looks like, that you would make it really clear. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.